Hi, everybody. Welcome to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. I got the vaccine, everybody. I got the vaccine. I'm so happy I got the vaccine. At least I got the first dose. Um, I'm scheduled to get a second dose um, in later on in February. So I'm really excited because I know that this whole situation with COVID in the U.S. is a hot mess, like a big piece of steaming turd that somebody just left in the middle of the sidewalk for you to step in. That is the situation of COVID in the United States. And I'm happy to report that it looks like I might have a chance at actually avoiding stepping into this massive, you know, dog remains on the street. At least I can avoid stepping in this massive turd a second time for at least a little while. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'm one of those people who has already had COVID twice. And so getting the vaccine means that I might be able to avoid getting COVID for a third time. And so I'll have an upcoming episode about why I suspect that I've already had COVID twice. So even though I had COVID in December, I decided to go ahead and get the vaccine anyways, only because we know that the antibodies last for maybe about two to three months or so. And because I'm on immunosuppressants, I don't know if that means that the antibodies will last for you know less time or for more time. I don't know. And because the whole, not only the COVID you know, situation being a hot mess here, but also the vaccine situation is not very good. Even though like Biden, he just became president and he's just made it priority. He's going to be a president that's actually going to do something about the COVID, you know, drama happening in our country. But things are not up and running the way they should be in all places, everywhere. And so I was like, the first opportunity I get, I'm taking this vaccine and I'm going to kill it. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear pastors and churches you know, share a story or share um, a thought about what's going on in the world, I almost want to take a shot every time they say, I don't know about you, but... And they tell their story about like how they, you know, have felt awkward or, you know, inadequate or wonderful or what have you. I just think it's such a funny thing. So like every time, like now that I'm watching church online because of the pandemic, I literally want to like grab a a bottle of tequila and like, and listen to one of my pastors going to say, I don't know about you, but when I have to, you know, and I'm like, anywho, so I don't know about you. But my father was initially a vaccine skeptic. I'm going to say it. Sorry, daddy, but I'm outing you. I remember talking to him about whether or not he would get the vaccine. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it because, you know, they rushed it. It was too fast. And I just don't trust it. And mind you, my father's in his 70s. So he is one of those, he's a member of the population that would be really harmed by not having a vaccine or catching COVID. And so I was like, Daddy, but like, you you wouldn't get this vaccine. I mean, they tested on thousands and thousands, like 30,000 people, and they found that it's, you know, effective against the vaccine and it has minimal side effects. It's like, nope, not going to do it, not interested. But then I remembered, my daddy is not, you know, born and raised in the United States. My daddy is from a quote-unquote developing country, Nigeria. And I asked him, like, wait, Daddy, 
didn't you grow up with smallpox? Didn't you grow up in a time when, like, entire villages were being decimated by this illness that was happening? And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. When I was growing up, I remember people couldn't come to my village. They would drive past us. They would drive past Umanam because they knew that smallpox was present here. And it killed so many people. I said, Daddy, this is the same situation that we're having right now. Like, this is not something to take lightly. I explained to him that the same way that he saw his village and many other people just being decimated by smallpox, the United States is being decimated by COVID-19. And that at this point, getting the vaccine is not the difference between getting it and not getting it. It's the difference between getting it and getting COVID. And we already have over 400, over 450,000 people who have died from the illness. And I was like, Daddy, like... This is smallpox part two. Like, you have that memory. And just remember, that's what we're going through right now. And so afterwards, my dad said, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'll get the vaccine. And soon after, I tried to make appointments for him to you know, be registered to get the vaccine. Um, and eventually, we both ended up getting it together. So we had a nice little, you know, vaccine retreat, if you will. And I say all of this because I'm sure that many of us have family members who, you know, are vaccine skeptics. But I think that for those of us who have family members who are from the the developing world or family members who have experienced, you know, situations in which they've seen lots and lots of people die from an illness that was highly contagious, I think that reminding them of those situations can be helpful in trying to encourage Americans to get the vaccine. Because at this point, we really don't have an end in sight without it. When I got the COVID vaccine, um, I felt fine. I felt great. Like my arm hurt, but I was like, whatever. Like it's just like getting the flu or any other vaccine I've ever gotten, you know, because I've had to do research in Brazil. So I had to get all those like, you know, a list, a long list of vaccines um, before you leave the United States. Or like when I went to Nigeria when I was a kid, I was like, okay, got to get these different shots, like for like smallpox, rubella, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, so I'm I've been used to getting vaccines as an international traveler. And so the day of I just hung out with my dad because I went with him to go get our vaccines and it was nice. We had a day together, a daddy daughter day. And I felt fine. And then I went home. And then I went to bed and the next morning I woke up and I was like, Oh my god. What happened? My, like, left side of my body was, like, weaker than before I have MS. And one of the ways it manifests itself is, like, I have weakness in the left side of my body, my left leg, and my left hand specifically. And my left hand and arm were just not cooperating. They're like, I'm chilling. I'm I'm good. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You got to help me get out of bed, arm. What are you doing? Like, no, I'm just going to chill. And the funny thing is, like, the, literally the day before, the day before I was talking to the, the Lyft driver... And she was telling me how I work in a hospital and when I got the COVID vaccine, my left side was hurting. No, no, that's not what she said. My left side just felt really weak. And she's like, I had to like tell my left arm, like, okay, left arm, do this, left arm, do that. And she's like, it only lasted a day and then I was fine. And she's like, but I noticed that that was my symptom when I got the first shot. And then she, she proceeded to tell me, but the second shot was actually a lot worse and I had to like call in sick. But it was fine. And, like, the day after I was normal, and now I'm back to normal. I'm like, oh, 
that was God. That was the Holy Spirit preparing me for what I was about to experience because that is exactly what I experienced the next day. I woke up and my left side of my body was just like, I'm not cooperating. I'm like, okay, arm, move, do this, do that. And it's like, no, I'm good. So I was out. I like couldn't get out of bed. I fell. I could not get up. My mother has some slippery hardwood floors and it took me a long time to get up off of the floor and just be able to stand up and it was just the effects of the vaccine like I'm immunocompromised I'm on immunosuppressants because of MS and it just had a really like hard you know I had really really hard symptoms from the vaccine I was exhausted I had to sleep I slept so much during the day I don't sleep during the day but I was like gone I was out like a light and then slept for like three, four hours. Eventually, I woke up. I was okay. Like before, I like need get my walker to get to the bathroom. I need my walker to go sit in the living room and like watch television. And then like, boom, miraculously, it's like okay, vaccines, it's done. And like I was back to normal. It was really, really odd. And so those were my symptoms after getting the COVID vaccine. So given everything that just happened to me, would I get the vaccine? Absolutely. There are half a million people dead in this country because guess what? They didn't have the vaccine. At this point, because the United States is such a hotspot for this illness, I think that the difference is between getting the vaccine and getting COVID. And if you get COVID, you don't know what the outcome will be. You don't know whether or not like your body will be able to handle it. You don't know whether... You'll be able to get to hospitals or get the health care that you need in time so that you can survive or so that you can, you know, at least fight the illness, have a fighting chance. Why is it the vaccine? It's super easy. You get an injection. Boom, you're done. You go twice. And I'm like, ah, I have to just get a vaccine. And like for people like me who um, already have health issues and like, let's face it, most of America has like most of America has health issues. So given the situation, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go, it's not going to be because of something that I could have prevented. Getting a vaccine is something that I can do to prevent myself getting COVID. So that's what I did. And I'm feeling okay now. Keep up with sports. I don't know nothing about no sports, Mister. Right? I, I just, I just don't do sports. I barely understand how football works after many, many, many years of watching the Bears play with my father. And so I was really surprised when I found out that some there's a guy named Chad Wheeler who was playing for the Seattle Seahawks, and that he had essentially assaulted his black girlfriend. He was white. His girlfriend was black. And how he had beat her so badly that he thought he had killed her. And that when she came to or like got up and went to the bathroom, he said something to the extent of, oh, you're still alive. As he was sipping his smoothie. Girl, dude. When I heard that, when I read that, when I was looked at the pictures of the woman, I was shocked. But I was like, oh, once more, we hear about domestic violence in the NFL. And... 
surprisingly, they handled it rather quickly. He was dismissed from the Seattle Seahawks. He's facing charges. I wonder what kinds of charges. I didn't. I haven't looked, you know, in depth into the types of charges he's facing. But it didn't seem like he was facing an attempted murder charge, even though it was pretty clear that he had thought he had killed his wife based on the excuse me, his girlfriend based on the girlfriend's statements. But you know what? This is all very interesting. So I especially find this all very interesting in light of the book that I published with NYU Press called Boundaries of Love, Interracial Marriage and the Meaning of Race, in which I analyze the experiences of Black-white couples in Los Angeles and Rio de Janeiro to understand how race works in the United States and Brazil. Boom. And I thought that that speaks to how racism is very structural. It's not only about individuals loving each other, and, and it's not just about um, individuals being good. It's about this thing called race placing value on particular people more than they ought to or less than they ought to, right? All of this reminded me of a talk that I went to years ago in which scholars discussed how intimate partner violence was more common among interracial couples than among monoracial couples. And so recently I did some digging and I found that a scholar named Rachel Fusco has done research on this very topic. And looking at a paper that she wrote um, in comparative studies, oh, excuse me, in Journal of Interpersonal Violence, Fusco argues that um, when you compare these intimate partners in interracial couples, when you compare white ethnic minority couples, you see that they're more likely to have IPV than minority minority couples or than white white couples. And so what I think this speaks to is how like even though interracial marriage and interracial couples have been increasing in the United States for some time now, we have to pay attention to those structural elements of racism. That race in and of itself is about placing people in a hierarchy and valuing somebodies and some people more than others, right? And so in this context, we have to be very careful in how we understand interracial partnership and interracial coupling only because as seen in the situation with Chad Wheeler and his girlfriend, it can be deadly for some people. And it's not to say that, you know, interracial coupling or interracial marriage is a terrible thing because I don't believe that at all. Or that, you know, people of color, particularly black people, are more prone to violence than whites or other people's because we know that's not true either. Or at least you should know that that's not true. I just think that it speaks to our society and how much race still colors even our intimate relationships. Wello, thank you for listening to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at at Chinyere Osuji, C-H-I-N-Y-E-R-E-O-S-U-J-I. I'm also on Instagram at Chi from the Shy, C-H-I from D-A, and then C-H-I again. Um, and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your day.